millions of North Americans vacation south of the border, in Mexico. While some visitors bake in the sun and splash in the surf, others prefer to dive into Mexico's colorfully diverse culture. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. On today's Travel with Rick Steves, guidebook author Bruce Whipperman will take your calls and emails about Mexico's Pacific Coast resorts, Puerto Vallarta and Acapulco, and its bustling cultural capital, Oaxaca. We'll help you find just the right sandy beach or secluded lagoon and give you tips on sampling the real Mexico. Then, you don't have to write guidebooks to travel for a living. We'll meet a jazz singer from Seattle who lives in Istanbul for months at a time to perform at a luxury hotel. She'll tell us how she spliced her wanderlust into her career. It's like living in a different world when you travel with Rick Steves. Stay with us. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. I'm Rick Steves. The Pacific coast of Mexico is a natural choice for vacationing Norte Americanos. Towns like Puerto Vallarta and Acapulco are synonymous with fun in the sun. Further inland, cities like Oaxaca offer an exhilarating glimpse at the richness of Mexico's indigenous cultures. On today's Travel with Rick Steves, we're traveling through western Mexico. And later, we'll visit with a jazz singer who spends part of the year trying to make a living in Seattle, but lives like royalty the rest of the time in Istanbul. But first, let's take some calls and hear where you're traveling. Call us at 877-333-RICK or email us at radio at ricksteves.com. We've got Mita on the phone in Washington, D.C. Hello, Mita. Hi, Rick. How are you doing? Oh, fine, thanks. How are you? Great. What's on your mind? Uh, well, I'm going to be going to Scandinavia, and uh, unfortunately it's not going to be a really long trip. We'll have about 10 to 12 days there. And we wanted to do Norway in a nutshell. I think we're going to have about seven days in Norway, and then we're going to end up in Copenhagen for three or four days. Hmm. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, I was just wondering, is that the seven days in Norway, what the best things to see would be, and how much like yeah. how much time we should spend in Bergen and Oslo? Well, let's figure out your parameters here. First of all, you're flying into Oslo, is that right? No, we're flying into Bergen, actually. Oh, well, that's perfect. And you're uh, flying out of Copenhagen? Yes. And you got about a week in Norway, and you want to have three days in Denmark. Yeah, if three, okay. three days is enough, I think sure. we could stretch that out a little. Well, bit. I think it'd be nice to call in well for a few days and stay and extend your vacation, you know. <laughs> but um, let's say you're going to limit it to 12 days. That's no problem. Okay. Starting in Bergen, remember, Bergen is the historic capital of Norway. Before Oslo was the capital, it was Bergen. Right. And it was a Hanseatic town, so it's got all this great um, medieval trading history, and you'll see a lot of that when you're there. And they say the most scenic train ride in Scandinavia, and I agree, is the one that connects Bergen and Oslo. Right. But what I like to do is take a detour on that train and go down in for a dose of the fjords, you see. And that's what people call Norway in a nutshell. Okay. Now, mostly it's promoted in a direction from Oslo to Bergen, and you're kind of doing it backwards, but it doesn't matter a bit. It goes both ways. Okay. And I would, you got to decide after you do your studying how much time you want to spend on the fjords. But what I would do is, if I had seven days in, in Norway, I think I'd have two nights in Bergen, Okay. Two nights on the fjords and uh, two nights in Oslo. Okay. And then I would sleep on the boat from Oslo to Copenhagen. Oh, and that's okay. actually a budget trick. You see, the Scandinavian ferries are cheaper than they should be because all these Scandinavians are starved for affordable alcohol. Oh, yeah. And they've got such highly taxed alcohol. So you go on the boat and you just buy up all the beer and the vodka. And uh, the boat companies make more money selling booze than they do selling boat tickets. Now, you don't need to buy any of the alcohol. And you can just take advantage of the cheap boat tickets in, this, in the fjord scenery. So um, look into the fjord ride from Oslo to Copenhagen. It goes every day, and you'll be surprised how cheap it is. Okay. And uh, Oslo has got so much fun. Do you have some kind of a train pass, or how are you getting around? Uh, we haven't decided on that yet, okay. actually. Well, you don't need a train pass for what you're talking about here. You just want to buy the, the, the train ride, which is they'll figure the bus and the boat all in on this Norway in a nutshell thing. You just buy it at the train station, and they'll sell you the tickets you need to get to Oslo. And then you've got yourself three days in Copenhagen. I would um, get a dose of Danish countryside. Copenhagen's a great city, but if you've got three days, you might want to spend one of those days uh, tooling around the countryside, depending on what your taste is. Mm -hmm. And you can take side trips to see the great, the Versailles of Scandinavia, really, the Frederiksborg Castle, just yeah. north of Copenhagen. And the very best Viking ships anywhere in Scandinavia are outside of Copenhagen in Roskilde. Oh, 
yeah. Remember, you'll save $100 a night in Copenhagen sleeping in people's homes rather than in hotels. Okay. For $60 or $70, you can be a guest of some wonderful people who rent out rooms in their houses. Okay. And I, th- I think, uh, you know, Scandinavia has very surprisingly reasonable bed and breakfasts. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about um, the fjords in Norway. You said spend two nights. Where would be the best place to spend at, at okay. on the fjords? Well, the one-night stop people make is Flam, F-L-A-M, or Arland. Have you heard of Flam before? Yes. If you wanted to get a little fancier and have more of a serious fjord experience, you might stay in Balestrand. Okay. That's where the Kaiser, the German Kaiser, used to go for his vacation, so he probably knew what was good. Oh, yeah. And uh, so Balestrand is something to look at. If you venture away from Flam, all of a sudden things get a little more complicated. But if I was going to Balestrand, I think I might take the boat all the way from Bergen to Balestrand. Okay. And then another boat from there to uh, Flam, where you would catch the train into Oslo. Okay. And the fjords are so beautiful. These They make it a fun experience. It's, it's a mailboat, so they stop at little remote farms that don't have any car access. You can't drive there. Okay. And uh, these farms are just stuck in the past, and their only access to the outside world is by these ferries that come by. And the ferries don't stop automatically, but if the farmer turns on a little light on his dock, the ferry boat captain knows that the guy's got some mail to pick up or a passenger that he wants to send out or something like that. So you get this sense of the workaday world on the fjords, which is quite fun. I've been in the middle of the fjords when two boats come together and they throw sacks of mail across the boats. <laughs> oh, wow. So have a good time there. Thank you. Let us know how your trip goes. Oh, sure. Okay, Thanks. bye, Mita. Bye. Gary from San Bernardino, California, emailed us, planning a trip to Slovenia and Croatia by car in the summer, wants advice on hotels, unusual sites, villages, and wonderful experiences for three weeks. Well, that's more than a quick answer. But I would say if you're going to Slovenia and Croatia, you're going to the two most interesting parts of the former Yugoslavia. Slovenia is the mountainous, uh, charming little country, sort of a fairy tale country, I'd say, just uh, nestled underneath the Alps south of uh, Austria. And Slovenia's capital is Ljubljana, and from there, within an hour's drive, you can get almost anywhere in the country. The tiny um, Slovenian coastline is just a few miles long, and there's a resort town there called Pirin, which is interesting. It's sort of a Slovenian uh, mini Venice. Slovenia is famous for its caves. There's some incredible caves that I toured, and it's also famous for its mountain resort around Bled, Lake Bled. Hotels cost about the same in Slovenia and Croatia as they do in the rest of Europe, but if you can stay in people's homes, you're going to be finding accommodations for 30 or $40 a night for a double and having a much more intimate, homey experience. When you're touring Croatia, the real charm is the Croatian coastline. The big city along the coastline for travelers is Split, Split is built around the palace of Emperor Diocletian. Uh, The Roman emperor actually retired there, built a huge palace, and when he died, the local uh, peasants or whatever just came in and inhabited the huge place. And, uh, you know, one little room in a palace is, uh, for a peasant, quite a nice uh, little pad. And uh, today, the nucleus of that city is the remains of the giant palace of Diocletian. From Split, you can catch a boat out along the islands. Korchula is the beautiful, idyllic port town to stop at. And, of course, Dubrovnik is the pearl of the Adriatic Sea. I want to check out Dubrovnik. When I was there last, it was not disappointing at all, but I'll tell you, the hotels are expensive, and the private accommodations there are a marvelous value. If you want specifics on that, check out ricksteves.com. We've got it all right there. And we got Fred on the line in Houston. Hi, Fred. Hi, Rick. How are you? I'm good. Where have you been traveling lately? Well, we've finished Alaska cruise, but uh, I wanted to talk to you about uh, Costa Rica. All right. Uh, I heard you on a podcast the other day. Right. Uh, you had a lady on there who had moved to Costa Rica and wrote a book on how to do it. That's right. And she had uh, talked about doing the uh, cable rides through the treetops right. and kind of alluded that it was something relatively easy to do. And I wanted to uh, argue with her a little bit about that. We did that. I don't know where she did it, maybe down on the coast, but at Monte Verde, we were up, I guess, about 6,000 feet. I almost died doing that. It was, for a couch potato, it's pretty rough, pretty really? rough work. And uh, I recommend that rather than do that, I think it would have been more enjoyable for us to go on the, the catwalks through the treetop a second day okay. because we were able to get within about five feet of a hummingbird in its nest. Okay, now for a lot of us, we don't know uh, really too well what you're talking about. I understand there's different cable rides, uh, different uh, trips you take on these cable rides through the trees. This one you took, why was it so strenuous and scary? Well, you started off at at the base. uh, You had to climb up maybe 100 to 200 feet up the side of the mountain where you got to the first uh, cable stanchion. You ride across the valley, 
descending a little bit. Describe this for people, Fred. What are you doing uh, on this cable ride? Oh, it's a uh, well. The cable is stretched across the valley, and you put on a, uh, a harness, kind of like a cave explorer or a mountain right. climber would wear, and they hang a uh, pulley on the cable, and you hook onto that pulley. And I, w- I never felt unsafe on the pulley. I think it was plenty strong enough. You slide across, you roll across the uh, the valley on this cable, and it's it's pretty exciting because it's uh, sure you're going pretty fast. How long of a ride is it? The longest one I think they said was fourteen hundred feet. Wow! And it was cloudy. That was the last one we rode. It was cloudy up there, so halfway across the cable, you went into the clouds, and they couldn't see you from either side. And you're just screaming through the clouds there from this cable going, uh, whipping by all the trees and so on? Yes. It's just gravity-powered. Right. And when you're all done, you kind of go, uh, what, what was that all about, huh? Well, you, when you get to the end, they have a, it's an ingenious break for the thing. They have a, a, a rope knotted around the cable. <laughs> and when your pulley hits that rope, it acts as a brake and slows you down. Is it a jolting slowdown? No, it's it's fairly easy. I mean, it, okay. it's fast, but it's it's pretty easy. It doesn't jar now, you can, anything. Can you control your speed in any way? A, a little bit. Now, how, how do you control uh, your speed? As couch potato as I am, it's pretty hard. Yeah, what what, what is that? I'm well over two hundred pounds. But for the lighter people, you just turn your your uh, pulley. Okay, so you you put a little um, tension, a little friction on, on friction, the cable. Yeah. But if you really want to joyride, what you're saying is people, unless they're adventure travelers, they might just enjoy walking on the elevated boardwalks. Yes. And, yeah. t- and describe that to us. It was right in the treetops. And there were, uh, as I say, we got within a, uh, about five or six feet of a hummingbird nest. And actually, there was just a baby hummingbird in it. And the parents had abandoned him. They'd been trying to get him out of the nest, and he wouldn't leave, our guide told us. Oh. So they just left him there, and he was... Going to sit around, I guess, till he get hungry enough and finally decide to leave. Well, I understand that's one of the joys of Costa Rica is actually getting into that lush um, canopy area, yes. right? Yeah. They're within maybe uh, oh, 50 or 60 feet of a family of howler monkeys. Wow. And this is a uh, commonplace all over? There's many uh, opportunities for this? Uh, up in the in Monteverde, I think so, yes. Right. It was beautiful. I loved it up there. We want to go back. Great. Well, thanks for your tip. I think that's good advice from the School of Hard Knocks there. If you want to, if you don't want a near heart attack, uh, up for the boardwalk instead of the uh, cable ride, eh? Right. And right. You'll, you'll enjoy, arguably have a better nature experience because you can uh, pet the hummingbirds. Right, and you get right in close to the flowers in the treetops and everything. What do they do to make sure you understand what you're looking at? Do they have audio guides or local guides? Or? We had a guide with us. We didn't go on a tour. We uh, we went through a uh, guy that I lo- know locally here. He and he's, he's married to Costa Rican, and he and his wife run a little tour service. Sounds great. What guidebook did you use for Costa Rica? Uh, basically, we uh, just used the information that he gave us. I see. And picked up information as we got down there. Well, that's great. A local road map and, and uh, the, the flyers as we got into the rainforest in Monteverde. How are the prices in general? It was good for us. Uh, I was pilot for Continental at the time, Continental Airlines, and I'm retired now. But he was a uh, uh, Continental flight attendant, and he gave us a real good price. But I mean, just generally on the streets in Costa Rica, I thought they were. I thought they were. They were good. A lot less than America. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I think so. Hey, thanks, Fred. Thank you, Rick. And good luck on your future travels. Okay. We're exploring the west coast of Mexico. It's up next, amigos, on Travel with Rick Steves. Call us at 877-333-RICK or send us an email at radio at ricksteves.com. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines with 4,000 flights to 250 cities in some 40 countries around the world every day. It's easy to book your next flight at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.
I'm Rick Steves, and this is Travel with Rick Steves. Right now, I want to take you to the west coast of Mexico. And I've got with me a man who is a, uh, he writes guidebooks to the whole west coast of Mexico. His name's Bruce Whipperman. And uh, for 20 years, Bruce was a physics teacher, and then somehow he stumbled into travel writing. And now he spent the last decade or so really developing an expertise for the west coast of Mexico. He writes four different handbooks, moon handbooks, guidebooks, uh, covering Puerto Vallarta, Oaxaca, Guadalajara, and Acapulco. And uh, uh, Bruce is with us on the line from California. Bruce, thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Wow. What a, how does a physics teacher become a travel writer? How did I become one? Well, physics teacher. I mean, how can we just well, sit around? Well, uh, I was about always physics? interested in. I was always a generalist, and I was interested in astronomy. And uh, in Kenya, there was a total eclipse in 1980. I said I have to go there. And when I was there, I got bit by the travel bug, and uh, mm-hmm. I've been traveling ever since. And two years later, I resigned my teaching job and started writing. Talk and, uh, about travel bug bite with the help of it, an eclipse. It bit me. It still has me, too. And now you are, uh, you've are you really specialized on the west coast of Mexico. Uh, yeah, but I like the whole world. I wrote a book about uh, the wines of Japan, and I wrote a book about traveling solo in western China, too. They haven't been published, but I'm looking for a publisher. Well, we'll stay tuned. Now, right now, I'm I'm just a rookie when it comes to the west coast of Mexico, but for a long time I have told people, if you're looking for fun in the sun and you're thinking of going to Europe and finding it, I think you'll have a better value going to Mexico. To me, Europe is just so densely populated, and and Europe is a continent of lemming sun worshippers that seem to go on vacation on the same day, same time, and head to the south coast of El Sol or the French Riviera with an incredible ability to lay on congested beaches like game hens and have a good time. And it's just expensive, and it's it's, uh, congested, and it's a sunburned traffic jam. I think the west coast of Mexico or the the Yucatan area would would offer a better value. Now, let's talk about the west coast of Mexico. And and just to start off, Bruce, um, compare for me Mazatlan, Puerto Vallarta, and Acapulco. Those are the three big resorts that come to mind in the west coast of Mexico. How would one choose one or the other? Well, uh, Mazatlan is closest, and it's cheaper to get there. Um, it's a lovely place. It has the probably the silkiest sand uh, on, on the west coast of Mexico, and it's it's called the Pearl of the Pacific for good reason. It's got islands offshore. It's got a lovely old town uh, that's being uh, renovated, and it's just very lovely with small plazas. Uh, and then uh, you have uh, Puerto Vallarta is on the Bay of Banderas, which is perhaps one of the loveliest spots. It's it's a tropical, jungly, huge bay with all kinds of places to go, waterfalls and springs nearby. And Acapulco is 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 a historical place. It started in 1520, 1525, and the, a, a galleon, a treasure ship, came there every year until 1820. It's got a wonderful museum, and of course, it's got lovely hotels, a beautiful bay. Uh, so, uh, gee, it's kind of a toss-up uh, for all three of them. Uh, perhaps for pure beauty, Puerto Vallarta would be the best. Acapulco would be wonderful for history and handicrafts and things like that. And Mazatlan would be wonderful for uh, for great beaches. And for easy access. Yes, it's closer, yeah. All right. And as far as getting to these three ports or these three resorts from the United States, is it, uh, I mean, essentially it's all of them are just as convenient or as far as uh, direct flights? Well, I'd say Puerto Vallarta is the most convenient. There are probably more uh, flights there, but there are plenty to uh, Mazatlan and also Acapulco. All of these places, you can choose a resort hotel on the beach or a funky little place in the town, is that either right? Either one, yeah, right. either one. Uh now you, now, you go for a resort hotel on the beach, you're going to be spending American-style Well, prices. it depends. Uh, uh, anywhere from $80 a night to 250 Per night. But and then, uh, uh, there are lots of uh, very nice places for, for less than that. And uh, a backpacker or a budget traveler, somebody with a good guidebook, could stumble into any of these towns and stay in a small uh, guest house or, or yes, one-star yes, hotel. Yes, they could. You could probably a good one start at about, $35 a night. So uh, if you talk to your travel agent and say it's going to cost 150 a night, you can say, well, that's the normal way. But if you really want to go down there and uh, look around, you can find something for $50 a night or less. 
you can reserve them on the phone for fifty dollars a night, or reserve them on the web. Uh, That's great. By email. Uh, now let's talk just about fun in the sun. I'm talking with Bruce Whipperman, and he writes the uh, Moon Handbook to Acapulco, and he writes guidebooks to Puerto Vallarta, Oaxaca, Guadalajara, and he's just our man for the west coast of Mexico here. And uh, Bruce. I, I would say if you're looking for museums and great art, you're not going to go to Mazatlan. You're going to Mazatlan for the beach and probably Puerto Vallarta and Acapulco, too, to be frank. Uh, well, actually, uh, actually, uh, Puerto Vallarta is an art colony. Um, there's lots of great art there. Really? Uh, the, it's modern art. I mean, it, it's not uh, classical stuff. Uh, hmm. For for museums, uh, Acapulco is very good. There's there's a mask museum and there's a wonderful history museum in their old fort and there's an archaeological site there. Wouldn't you recommend if somebody really wants to learn a lot about Mexico and have fun on the beach to split it with Mexico City and a trip uh, side trips from Mexico City and then hang out on the beach? I think it would be better to go to Guadalajara. Uh, really? Uh, yeah, it's closer to the beach, and uh, it's closer to it's close to Puerto Vallarta. It's only a four-hour drive, and there are some uh, wonderful museums and murals in, in Guadalajara. And that's the gateway to the, all these colonial towns yeah, that are yeah. so characteristic. I had a beautiful trip uh, uh, flying into Guadalajara and then renting a car and driving in that colonial circle. Hey, Bruce, I want to talk about just the beach, though, okay? So let's forget art. Let's forget any culture. I'm just tired. I've been working too hard. I want to go to the beach. You're, uh, and let's assume any beach resort hotel in these resorts, Mazatlan, Puerto Vallarta, Acapulco, would have your fun-in-the-sun tools, right? What Absolutely. Are, what are exciting ways to have fun on the beach in the west coast of Mexico? Well, gee, uh, uh, if you really want a thrill, you can do some riding in a parachute, uh, parasailing, if you want. Now, this is where the boat tows you up? Yeah, a boat pulls you up, and you fly along in a parachute uh, for about uh, 15 minutes over the beach. I mean, that costs about 40 or $50, but it's a, it's kind of a thrill. Uh, uh, other things you can do, you can snorkel uh, in Puerto Vallarta and Acapulco, especially, there's very good snorkeling. Uh, you can, if you're a scuba diver, you can do that. Uh, there's excellent surfing, especially uh, around Acapulco and, and Puerto Vallarta. Let's say, hey Bruce, let's say you're not a scuba diver or uh, uh, you don't know about uh, windsurfing and so on. Can you get lessons there and hire a person uh, quite reasonably? To, to uh, do scuba diving? To learn to scuba dive. Oh, absolutely. Uh, there's, there's dive shops in each of those towns that do uh, resort lessons, and then you... Uh, after about a, a couple hours of a, of a lesson, you can go out on a on a two tank dive out, uh, and it's uh, really fun. If you're interested uh, in that, where would you Mazatlan, Puerto Vallarta, Acapulco? What would all be best? All three of them. All would three have, of them uh, have dive shops. But would they have good like underwater sightseeing? Equally oh yeah, good? yeah. Equally good. Good ones, yeah. Uh, especially uh, Puerto Vallarta has an underwater national park, or actually, it's an eco preserve uh, oh. right offshore. Yeah. T- tell me about undertoes, stingrays, and stinging jelly. Fish. Well, in any any ocean, you you might even in California, we now and then get jellyfish. So you do have to watch for those. Uh, they're you know they're not serious. You get a little get a little 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 numbness perhaps. Uh, sting uh, stingrays. You have to shuffle along the sand whenever you're uh, at a beach in in any anywhere uh, anywhere in the world. Uh, and the stingrays will go flying away if you shuffle and kind of disturb them. If you step on them accidentally, do they actually sting you? Uh, you can get kind of a uh, yeah. They have barbed tails, and and you can get a scratch from those, but they're not serious. What you do is immediately wash them off. So you don't really need to go to the doctor if you get stung. No, uh-uh. you wash it off with uh, with uh, salt water and. Uh, what kind of jellyfish do they have? That's they're stinging? little ones usually, and uh, they have tentacles. And uh, you'll see them before. I mean, you'll see them in the water, so you just have to, if there's lots of them in the water, you probably ought to stay out. But I've only, that's only, in, in 20, 30 years of traveling to Mexico, that's happened to me once. Uh. It's happened to me as much in California as it happened okay. in Mexico. Now, sometimes I'm laying on the beach and I'm just bothered by hustlers. There's all sorts of guys trying to sell you stuff. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that. Well, uh, that's true. Uh, some hotels uh, have kind of, Fenced off areas where the where the uh, vendors can't come in. It is it is a, a bit of a, a a bother there. Well, um, can they be? Maybe they're all, fun. All three places. Maybe uh, you want to buy something. What are some tips? I mean, you can get your hair braided. You can get uh, you can buy little handicrafts. You can oh get yeah, you can buy silver things. You can buy necklaces. All kinds of things. Uh, 
like some other nice uh, wooden sea animals like fish and, 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 and sea lions. Uh, there's all kinds of beautiful things. Huipiles, uh, which are uh, native dresses, uh, all beautiful stuff. It's kind of an annoyance. On the other hand, you don't need to go to the mall. They'll come to you. If you're interested in handicrafts, and, 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 and especially Puerto Vallarta, Acapulco, Mazatlan are overflowing with handicrafts, it would be best to actually go Make a point go to them. stores in the market if you're seriously interested in that. Okay, I'm talking with Bruce Whipperman. He is the author of The Moon Handbook to Acapulco, and he writes guidebooks by moon also to Puerto Vallarta, Oaxaca, and Guadalajara. We've got Andrew on the line from Laramie in Wyoming. Boy, what a contrast. Laramie, Wyoming to Acapulco, Mexico. <laughs> what? <laughs> What's on your yes, mind? indeed. Hey, I wanted to uh, ask Bruce um, what he would suggest as far as uh, getting to Acapulco. From the Denver area, where I fall out of, uh, we have direct connections to Mazatlan, Puerto Vallarta, and Cihuatanejo on the West Coast. Um, for Acapulco, what would you suggest? Um, the easiest and cheapest way to to get there. Yeah, to get to Acapulco from Denver is you have to get to um, uh, Mexico City, uh, probably. So uh, uh, another way to go, I think, would be by Continental Airlines through Houston. They, they, I believe, they go to Acapulco. So you go to Houston then Acapulco, or if you can get to Mexico City, then you get to Acapulco. It's only forty five minute flight. So that's the way you would go from Denver. I would. I was wondering um, if it might be more interesting and maybe just as efficient and maybe cheaper for me to fly to Zihuatanejo and then get a bus. It's only like a hundred miles. That's right. That would be. You got it right there. That's exactly it. It's 150 miles. It's about a four-hour trip to Acapulco. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, and my other question was, um, I, I'm, I'm trying to avoid the Mexico City airport. I've only been through there once, and it was on my way to Huatulco. And uh, long layover and kind of madhouse, uh, but I would like to go to Oaxaca City. What would you suggest as the best connections? Uh, the, you have to go through Mexico City. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you can't get there any other way. Would you suggest flying or, take, again, taking the bus down? Would that be a, a, an interesting uh, way to go? Taking the bus from Mexico City? Yeah. Uh, well, in terms of hassle, that, that would be a much bigger hassle than the airport. Yeah. You'd have to go, you know, across town to the bus station. I know, I don't like the Mexico City Airport either. I agree with you, but you know, it's negotiable. You just have to have to do it and sure. it would be that's easier than taking the bus. Yeah, unless you like you said earlier um adding on a um a visit to Mexico City. So flying to Mexico City and day, stay a day or two and then go on to Oaxaca. Personally, I would think that would balance your trip. I just think uh, Mexico is the New York of Latin America. Right. Lots to see in Mexico City, yeah. All right, Andrew, thanks a lot. Thank you. All right. We got James on the line from Freshwater, California. Hi, Bruce. Hi, Rick. Hi, James. Uh, My wife has talked me into going to a language institute, the um, Instituto Cultural Oaxaca, and I'm really glad she has. We're going in a little while, and we're going to be there a week. And although we'll be in uh, language school during the day, I'm wondering if you can suggest some easy, quick um, jaunts we might take to see the area in the afternoons and evenings. Well, what time do you get off? Uh, probably uh, mid-afternoon. Let's see. Are you going? Are they going to go there right away? Are you going to be there in the summer or when? Uh, we're going there here in the uh, in the spring. Okay. Well, you'll have a fairly long day there. Uh, one of the nicest places to go to is a place called Teotitlan del Valle, which is out west of town, where they have the rugs out there. They're just lovely. Uh, woven rugs. And uh-huh. uh, another thing you could do uh, would be to go up to Monte Alban near Oaxaca City. It's the uh, one of the most regal ruins in Mexico, and it's the oldest uh, city in in, uh, in in North America. Now you're talking. So uh, that that would be a, something you should should do. Hey, Bruce and James, let's let our listeners know a little more about Oaxaca because we haven't introduced that yet. Oaxaca is an, a region south of Acapulco. It's a, a region and the capital city. Is that right? It's the capital, it's the whole state and also the capital city of the state. And this is not your resort kind of destination like Mazatlan. This is more of a um, cultural, uh, uh, there's more of an indigenous sort of uh, culture there, isn't there? Extremely indigenous. There are 16 languages uh, spoken in Oaxaca. Tell us just a little bit about Oaxaca here, Bruce. Well, Oaxaca is a, is a state of Mexico. Uh, 
It uh, has a, a central city. It's very mountainous. The central city is called Oaxaca de Juarez. Um, it uh, it is perhaps the, the loveliest one one of the very loveliest colonial cities in Mexico. Uh, it has a, 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 a old fashioned plaza that has no traffic in it. It's, you can there are several uh, coffee uh, you know cafes around the plaza. You can sit there and it feels as if life is going on uh, slow motion there. It's just uh, just lovely. Every night there's some kind of music going on. Uh, there's a, just an absolute world-class museum there in the history of, of southern Mexico. Uh, and there are many, many handicrafts there, especially the rugs, but also uh, embroidered things, metal crafts, uh, pottery, in many, many little villages around the, the city. So, now, what town was that? That was Oaxaca, the That's, city of Oaxaca. Now, and then you said one town was the oldest city in the Western Hemisphere. Yeah, well, it's it's the uh, it's a ruin. I mean, it's a it's a monumental uh, city with pyramids. Nobody lives there. I mean, wow. it's an okay. abandoned city. I see. But it's the oldest city in America. Wow. Now, um, so you've got the uh, the indigenous uh, flavor. You've got the handicrafts. You've got uh, uh, it's quite a striking difference History from the history and museums. And you've got, what about the beach resort action in Oaxaca? Directly south of, of Oaxaca City is, are the beaches, and uh, you can fly there or take a bus there or drive there. And uh, there are several beautiful beaches. One's called Huatulco, another is called uh, Puerto Angel, another yeah. is called Puerto Escondido. They are all just uh, lovely small beaches and small resorts. Bruce, we had an email from Diana in Bellevue, Washington, and she said the town you just met, or the beach, Wa- Huatulco Huatulco, is the hidden gem. It's perfect for those longing for old Acapulco. Does that make sense to you? Uh, Well, it may be kind of in the beginning. Yeah, it's small and not very crowded. I think there's some truth to that. Okay, so uh, Huatulco. Yeah, yeah. Watuko. It's a Oaxaca hidden gem of a beach. And then uh, Ralph from Chicago emailed us, and he said uh, he he was there 15 years ago or so, and it was relatively tourist-free. He wonders if it's still uh, a haven that way. Uh, it's still fairly tourist-free. It uh, it is not crowded, except in uh, except Christmas and Easter. If you don't want crowds, don't go either one of those times. And Sherry from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, emailed us, and she recommend taking second-class buses from Oaxaca to the village markets. Can you talk a bit about that? Well, yeah, you have to do that because uh, first-class buses don't go don't go to those places it's it's and you have to go to the second class bus station but that's all right they're just fine and there's plenty of them there's three or four every hour which go to those villages boy there's a lot of interest in going to oaxaca and taking classes linda from green bay called and or emailed us and said she's taking a cooking class at el naranjo restaurant in oaxaca city absolutely she said it was great yes yes i recommend that in my book the cooking uh, uh class at el naranjo Naranjo. Naranjo Restaurant, that's and, right. And then uh, Ray in Bend, Oregon emailed us, and he's going to language school with morning sessions in conversational Spanish in Oaxaca City, and he wants advice on finding a month-long apartment rental. What would you do looking for an apartment well, in Oaxaca? Well, uh, there are agents, uh, and there are also there are apartments uh, for rent, and uh, he could just look in my book and then email one of the, one of the apartments and, and, and stay there. You know, that's what guidebooks are for, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> There's much more just ahead on Travel with Rick Steves. Eight seven seven three 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 rick Or you can email us at radio at ricksteves.com. Hey, I'm talking with Bruce Whipperman, and he has dedicated the last decade of his life, really, to becoming an expert on these wonderful destinations on the west coast of Mexico. Bruce writes the moon handbooks to Acapulco and to Oaxaca and to Puerto Vallarta, among other books. Uh, do we still have James on the line? Yes. James, any other thoughts on Oaxaca? I, I enjoyed listening to your conversation. Uh, I'm really looking forward to going to this language institute, and my wife knows quite a bit of Spanish. I, I'm going to be a beginner. But I'm looking forward to being there and going out and seeing those ruins, and I've gotten lots of great tips here on the show. Good. How do you say good luck in Spanish? Buena suerte. <laughs> Buena suerte. Thank uh, you. Uh, James? Yes. That's, uh, that, people have, do rave reviews of your, your, uh, your, your language school. Great. Yeah. yeah, some friends told us it was really good. Yeah. Good luck, James. Thanks Thank for you. the call. Bye-bye. 
Hey, Bruce, tell me, in all of the Latin America, we've got this issue of machismo, these men that have to prove themselves. Can you talk a little bit about that? That's just not Mexicans. Uh, I think there are men all over the world like that. But uh, the main thing is don't get drunk, uh, because then everybody has to prove themselves. So it's best to just um, kind of be very, very uh, cool and distant Hmm. Uh, probably the best thing, just stay away from bars. Right. Hey, we got a few more emails here. Walter from Rolling Hills Estates in California. Uh, he said, reports have it that the bay at Acapulco is getting too polluted for swimming. What's the latest on that? Oh, that that's uh, those are old, old reports. Uh, the, the Acapulco Bay is much cleaner than it was 10 years ago. I, I'd agree with it 10 years ago, but I haven't seen seen any pollution there uh, Some... lately. used to see things washing up on the beach, but uh, it's much, much better. Uh, since the hurricane four years ago, they've uh, installed a new drainage system, and uh, I, that problem is essentially cleaned up. All right. And uh, Jessica from Portland, Oregon, went down for the Dia de los Muertos in, in a couple of years ago, and she loved everything about the trip. Can you talk a little bit about the, the Day of the Dead? Yeah, the Dia de los Muertos is a traditional holiday that uh, it's November 1st and 2nd, and uh, it's, it's kind of unique to Mexico. Um, people go uh, to the graves of their ancestors, and um, they clean the thing up, they put flowers out, and then what they do is they put food that their uh, ancestors liked, and what they're trying to do is welcome their ancestors back into the family. So the whole family stays there at the grave all night of November 1st, and uh, welcomes the ancestors back. It's a, it's a lovely holiday. There are similar things in other countries, especially Japan has one like that, too. Is that uh, associated with All Saints Day or Halloween? Or yes, something? the Catholic version of it is All Saints Day, right. And, All right. Uh, yeah. Bruce, when you go to one of these resorts and you want to hang out on the beach, but you just you feel like you better get away from the tourist traps and you get inland and so on, is it pretty reasonable to rent a car for a few days, or do you have to do it by the week to get a good rate? Uh, cars are expensive. Cars are a rich man's thing in, in Mexico, in addition to the fact that insurance is absolutely mandatory, so you're paying an extra $15, $20 a day for insurance. So cars will run you about $50 a day there. Well, 50 bucks um, a day, that's not going to break the Weekly rentals are, are much more economical per day. You can probably get a weekly rental for about $250. Buses are perhaps the better way to go. Uh, buses go everywhere in Mexico. And if you have a good guidebook and you're uh, on the ball as far as being an independent traveler, it's arguably a better experience to ride the bus and, and connect with the people. Yeah, I think so uh, in a lot of ways. But, of course, if you want to be independent, a car is good. And I drive my car down there, and I drive all over, and I, I, uh, I, I'm quite used to it. And, and uh, as long as you're careful uh, and drive defensively, there's no problem. The only difference is the roads are not as good as they are up here in the United States. Last time I drove down there, they recommended not driving after dark. It gets more hazardous, especially animals. A lot of dead animals bloated on the roadside in the sun. A lot of cows blowing oh, yeah, up. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. That, that's the main hazard there, and scary. potholes is another one. Cows blown up like balloons and potholes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, so for less than 100 bucks a day, if somebody wanted to rent a car from any of these resorts, they could, and they could explore into the interior. Is that right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And no all, of them, all of them would have good uh, side-tripping destinations? Every one of them have, yeah. have all kinds of villages and towns, and they're all... They're in my they're in my books. And also, tell me just a little bit. Paint a picture about the the lagoon action. Where where would you find the best lagoons, and what do you do in the lagoons? Lagoons. Well, uh, what they are 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 barrier barrier lakes. Uh, during the, the the rainy season, the summer, the rivers uh, break through the break through the sand and uh, flow out in the ocean. But during the dry season, uh, in in late fall and winter, they fill up with pure clear water of the uh, of the rivers and uh, their mangroves and birds many many birds ducks cormorants and hingas and also uh, their crocodiles and alligators are coming back and you can get uh, boats and guides to take you around you can take photos uh, and uh, do water skiing if you want and things like this on all those lagoons. It sounds like a nature lover's paradise if you wanted to go look at birds. and, and Oh, wildlife. absolutely. Especially Acapulco has a huge... Uh Lake to the to the uh, to the west called Coyuca Lagoon, and it has a nice little downscale resort there called Piedra La Cuesta, and it's a, it's a lovely idyllic uh, country place to stay. Is the charm of the lagoons a seasonal thing? 
No, they're, they're, the lagoons are always there. Uh, so you can see the bird life. And oh, yeah. There, there are more birds in, in the winter, in, in the winter. In, uh, January, yeah. uh, than there are. They, they migrate down from North America, but there's still birds all the year around during the summer, too. Bruce Whipperman, thank you very much. I want to remind our listeners that uh, Bruce Whipperman is the author to the Moon Handbooks to Acapulco, Puerto Vallarta, Oaxaca, and Guadalajara. Bruce, thanks for your help, and I think you got us all thinking about the west coast of Mexico. Okay, bye-bye. Ciao. I'm Rick Steves, and this is Travel with Rick Steves. And right now we're going to talk about jazz singing and traveling the planet and staying in beautiful, lavish five-star hotels and uh, wowing people with your love of music. I've got with me Julie Cassiopo, who um, does just that. She sings jazz all over the world. Julie, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. It's fun to come out and see the real Rick Steves. The real Rick Steves, right here in the flesh. Yeah. Hey, um, you've sung for a long time. And yeah. you're from Seattle, is that mm-hmm. right? And uh, you do a lot of singing in uh, Istanbul. And tell me where you've sung in the last year. Well, in the last year, I have been in Istanbul, and I had a three-month contract, and then they extended me for three more months. And actually, they didn't want me to ever leave. They kept saying, can't you stay longer? And I had to come back home because you can only get a plane ticket that lasts six months. Well, at okay. least I couldn't then. Is so. there some mystique about an American jazz singer in Turkey? Well, there always is a, a sort of a, a mystique about um, jazz singing whenever you uh, go abroad, you know, because they know that that is America's best export. Is that our, like, ethnic music, jazz? Yes. Yeah, and, and I've sung in other countries, too. And even though I'm not really a, especially a jazz singer, I used to sing mainly cabaret and basically whatever I wanted to sing in order to kind of market myself specifically. I said I was jazz, and that's always been my first love. So, And jazz is like the American uh, music form, but yes. all over the world, people embrace jazz, I think, like it's their own. I mean, you go to Germany, you go to, um, uh, well, my experience is all around Europe, and jazz is just uh, feels very, very local. Yes, and, and they can sometimes even play it better than um, we do. Is that right? Well, technically, you know, but they always feel a little insecure, like, oh, because we're German, we can't really play it right, you know, So, which is kind of nice because so I come over there. Yeah, like an American <laughs> doing Shakespeare is kind of odd for an English person to hear that. A German person would rather hear an American doing jazz. Yeah, just, yeah. Just like an English person would probably rather hear a, an English person doing Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Nice to have a leg up, if you know Yeah, what you I got mean. an advantage, right? <laughs> yeah. From America. Now, is there some places where jazz is particularly hot uh, outside of our borders? All I can speak for is where I am, but I think Germany really, you know, appreciates it because I noticed when German visitors would come to the hotel, they were very avid listeners, much more than um, most of the Europeans and then the Scandinavians, second to the Germans in regards to their love of jazz. In your uh, uh, literature here, you you mentioned that uh, you're more than a jazz singer. You're a goodwill ambassador who warms the heart and puts a smile on the face of a troubled world. What do you mean by that? Well, um, one thing you notice when you work in a hotel, especially if you stay in one for a long time, is that, you know, people are traveling mainly for business these days. And uh, it's a wearisome thing if you've ever, if you've been to an airport recently, what you have to go through to get anywhere. And so when you finally get to the hotel, you know, you stumble into the bar hoping to, you know, kind of decompress. And that's where um, I will soothe people with my, you know, particular um type of songs that I, that's one of my talents is selecting interesting repertoire that, that is soothing to a traveler. So, so your mission really has changed in post 9-11 uh, world. Yeah, somewhat. I, I do really focus on singing songs that I know that bring people's spirits up that, you know, and not just, uh, you know, happy songs, but all kinds of songs. But I, I kind of uh, tune into, you know, what, what kind of makes people, um, feel that special feeling, like like um, home cooking, you know, comfort food. But I do comfort music. Well, that's a good analogy. Now, do you adjust your performance for various cultures if you performed in the States compared to Turkey? How would you uh, present your jazz differently? Well, in um, America, I can do more colloquial things and make more 
you know, jokes about our culture. And I try not to be make too many jokes when I'm over there because they have very different senses of humor, I've noticed. Um, so your chatter between songs would be more different than the actual songs. Yes, but I, but I still like to, you know, kind of be flirtatious with the audience and, um, you know, uh, make them chuckle. I'll, I'll try and I'll pretend to be stumbling on my Turkish and be making jokes, you know, because I, I try to learn the language. I'll take a course while I'm over there because I'm usually there for a three-month period. Mm. And that's enough time to take a, a mini course in a language. And then, then I, I, I know just enough to, to become, you know, somewhat comical with it. That would be very helpful, I would think, than just coming in uh, right out of the blue. The famous example is um, John F. Kennedy going to the Berlin Wall and saying, I am a jelly donut, when he said, ich bin ein Berliner. He, oh. he didn't really, he hadn't been living there for a while. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you're uh, traveling as an artist, how, how is an artist treated or accepted, uh, uh, you know, in the United States compared to overseas? Well, I always feel like I, I'm given the red carpet treatment, at least at first. And um, like when I was in Turkey, that's where I've been treated with the most dignity and and um, receptivity. They um, have me living in the palace, and I have a beautiful suite that's um, quite large. It's a one-bedroom full Is apartment. Is that actually in the hotel? Yeah, it's in the um, palace, and the palace is a little separated from the hotel. It's where the it's a residence where uh, visiting dignitaries stay. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Well, Madonna was there, Michael Jackson, and all right. I'm talking with Julie Cassiopo. Her website is juliesings.com, and we're talking about what it must be like to be a jazz singer uh, overseas. You know, um, have you ever performed as a as a busker just on the street? you know, when you're getting started or something? Um, no, I don't perform on the streets like that, but I do sing on the streets, you know. And I usually make friends with other singers that are in the visiting in the city. And, um, you know, when we go out shopping, you know, we love to hand out our cards. And I I have no qualms about singing on a street. and Just for fun, you mean? Yeah. Not it, with a hat out. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I make enough money working in a hotel that I don't have to... And that's one of the great things is that I don't have to keep – I spend so much time scrambling for work in America that I don't have time to be as charming as I can be. So when I go to these uh, foreign countries, it's like a working vacation. I bet. Yes. You're like a, you're and like a I special like class. <laughs> yeah, That's good. Have you, in your work, have you ever accidentally broken a cultural law, some sort of a – committed some sort of cultural faux pas that has been hmm, sort of embarrassing? Uh, one thing about the Turkish musicians – uh, Turkish men in general is that they do not like taking orders from a woman. And, I bet. It's a very <laughs> macho society, isn't it? Yes. Uh, they're, they're good musicians, but uh, they, you know, had a little trouble with that. So you're working with Turkish musicians? Yes. Yeah. I pick pick up musicians. Um, so the hotel provides, uh, what, a piano player? And, yes, uh, and bass, bass and, yeah. and drums. Does that work well? Yes. Because really? usually the people in jazz are such a small minority that they are usually... You know, highly um, experienced as jazz musicians. I bet performing on a cruise ship is puts you in a comfortable situation too. Have you ever performed on a cruise ship? Yes, I have. Uh, I didn't really. I don't like being uh, uh, confined that way. I like to get out and kind of do my own thing and be more free. You're not as free. Lecturers, musicians, teachers, and so on, uh, guides, they, they go on these cruise ships and they work once or twice a week and the rest of the time they're in their room writing their book or, or whatever. Yes, if you have a book to write. I, I don't know. I, I tried it. I went around the Canary Islands about 20 times because they kept going the same place. You know? Yeah, and it just was boring. You'd rather work in a fancy hotel in Turkey. Yes, yeah, so I can get out and really see the real people. You mentioned you performed in embassies. What's that like? Oh, I, I was in the um, the American embassy in Paris. I used to live in Paris, and it was for uh, when uh, they would have the elections, you know, for, I think it was Bush and Dukakis. Mm -hmm. And I would be invited for the parties. They had big celebrations and invited mu all the musicians, visiting musicians in town to perform. And So now you've got a Turkish song that you sing called Ush Kadara. What does that mean, Uskadara? Oh, Uskadar is a place in uh, across. Uh, it's on the Asian side of. Well, well that's Asian Istanbul. The yes. whole district of Istanbul that spills into Asia on the other side yes. of the Bosporus. Uskadara. Okay. And is this? Uh, why do you choose to sing this song? Uh, this is a song everyone knows. Little children learn it 
you know, in school, and it's just like a, a nursery rhyme. And but I love the way it sounds. It and it um, makes it makes me sound like I um, can speak Turkish a little bit. All right. So we're going to listen to Julie Cassiopo, the American jazz singer, singing a Turkish nursery rhyme. In the olden days, the high society ladies of Istanbul would go for a little jaunt across the Bosphorus to Uskadar with their male secretaries. They would secretly be in love, and to keep him happy, she would slip him some delicious Turkish delight. Oh, those Turks, they do love their sweets. Uskadara kidari kanaldira biryamur Uskadara kidari kanaldira biryamur Kati bimin setrezi uzu edi echamur Kati bimin setrezi uzu edi Julie, that was beautiful. Oh, thank you. I love singing that song. The Turkish people also really appreciate that I make an effort. Yeah, I, I would bet. Well, if you want to learn more about Julie's music, check out her website. It's juliesings.com. juliesings.com. Julie, good luck with your travels and uh, sharing your love of music with places around the world. Oh, thank you, Rick, and hope to see you in Istanbul. I love Istanbul. Thanks for joining us. Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. Our website has more information about this and other programs in this series and a link to send us your submissions for our 15 Seconds of Fame department. It's in the radio section at ricksteves.com. Join us next time as we travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.